Talk, your host of Wax Radio, and you're listening to episode number 515 of the podcast. We have on this episode coming right up here, on welcoming back Ron Wallman, who's my ace reporter in the field. He went to the Hamptons International Film Festival this year. I couldn't make it. And he uh, is reporting back from that festival, which just took place uh, about a week or two ago. And he's going to update us with a bit of a wrap up of some films he caught while he was there. Uh, you remember, Ron, he was here after uh, Sundance, and so he's back. And then the second segment, we'll be meeting with uh, returning Lynn Sachs, who is a uh, documentary, nonfiction filmmaker, storyteller, and uh, uh, talking about a project that I actually was myself involved with called Tip of My Tongue. We'll be joined by two other participants in Lynn's film. The four of us will be chatting about uh, a screening that's actually happening tonight. Thursday, October the 18th, here in New York City, I should say, and also about the DVD that just came out. And also, (laughs) if that weren't enough, Tip of My Tongue is also available on Canopy, which is the streaming service brought to you by the New York Public Library System, or the library system. I don't know exactly how many of the library systems, maybe many across the country. Uh, So, but first, before we get into Lynn and uh, my other friends, across Shep and Andrea uh, Canapel, we are first again joined by my friend Ron Wallman. Uh, here we'll talk about all the films he saw at the Hamptons International Film Festival right here, right now on Film Wax Radio. Then we'll come back with the gang after that. See, the thing is, when you don't have headphones, you can't hear yourself. And you don't even hear you so clearly. Oh, because uh, I hear myself so well that I don't speak loud enough. Um, it's been a long time since you and I sat down for a chat. It has been. Where have you been? I just need a drink. You, <laughs> you need a drink? Yeah, a quick drink. Do you? He's already off the mic. We are speaking with the returning field reporter, extraordinaire, Ron Wallman, back since uh, way back in, wow, to be winter. It would have been last winter after Sundance, correct? When last did we talk? Is this going to make a noise? Uh, well, I mean, it'll make the noise when you open it. Noise one. Noise two when pour. you pour. And noise okay, three when I you slurp really it. Well, how to do radio. I maybe I should take some caffeine too. Do you have an extra one? All right, let's chat. Do you want some of this? Or do you, you have another one? No. Yeah, no. Is I'll it give you t- at the end of your supply? I'm just. I don't normally drink, but um, soda. But I. I... Cheers, Adam. Cheers. All right, here Good we go. to see you. I haven't chatted to you since. Uh, I know when, the last time I chatted to you oh. was in the West Village. No, not the East Village. No, NoHo. In that apartment in NoHo, with the large. Oh, we dog. did do that. Yeah, but that was um, before the summer. Were we trying to do something else, or is that 
a wrap-up thing. I can't remember. I can't I think, remember. But, but it's been a long time. Since then, you turned another year older. I don't know. It's been a long time. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I just returned from the Hamptons International Film Festival. I know. It was my first time missing it. The, my first and time being there. Well, next year we'll make a point of going to get Definitely. It's a great festival, right? It's a great festival because it's very low-key. It's very relaxed. Very doable. The weather in the Hamptons at that time of year is beautiful. It's not overcrowded. It's, it's like going to synagogue every film. Every film. <laughs> it's just a whole lot of old, rich... Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I normally do go, and I, I, I've been going every year for the last bunch of years, and I have a very nice place I stay nearby. My fr- my old family friends have a beautiful house. I'm sure they haven't sold it. No, no, they haven't left. I, they were expecting me. Oh, you're giving them a plug so they'll invite you back next year? Oh, I hope they do. Okay. I hope Maybe they do. Because, take me along. But you need to, like, one year they let me a car as well, which was extremely helpful. A little zippy That's car. the one bitch about East Hampton. They, you pay for parking, mm-hmm. and the longest you can park any place is two hours. Mm-hmm. So you can't exactly bounce from movie to movie. You have to go and repark your car. Mm-hmm. The festival has to do something about that. It's actually a problem. Yeah, because even if you drive to, you know, Broadway area, like here in the city, for instance, I noticed that there's three-hour parking. Exactly. I mean, that you you you're probably going to put your car in a garage, but. The streets at least know, the street parking people at least know that they are competing. So they make it, and they know people are going to plays. That's right. So they make it three hours. That's thoughtful There's nowhere planning. else in the city where there's three hour. Make a note. Write to the East Hampton Film Seminar Group with suggestions. That's one of the suggestions, seriously. But otherwise, it's a great festival, and all the directors and producers that seem to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's comfortable yeah, they, cinemas and right. Oh no, and they premiere some films. They get some. They get some high end. They get some major people out there every year. Yeah. Uh, to uh, do talks and you know talks and. Uh, I'm going to go back next year. No good. All right. So a little. And it's less expensive than Sundance. I'll get surprisingly. you. I'll get you credentials next year. Thank you, Adam. I mean, you might be able to get your own, but if it's Thank through you. me. No, I'm going to stick with you. I'm. It's fun to do that. Yeah. We can have a little bit of a team. Do you want approach. to talk about some of the movies I saw? Yeah, let's do that. Where do you want to start? Just some just features randomly, of just I saw a whole bunch of documentaries. I saw the winning documentary, which was called The Roger Ailes Story, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I don't know the exact title. It was directed by a friend of mine. What? Alexis Bloom. Do you know her? No. I know the documentary she did before this was The Carrie Fisher Story. You mean the one with her and her mom, you mean? Yeah. Um, so she was there after the movie talking about it. I guess it's very, very topical. Divide and Conquer. Divide and Conquer. The story of Roger Ailes. Yeah. Very interesting. Just to yeah, read. I was at the New York Film Festival and I skipped it. Good. I didn't want to, but I, I, I sort of just needed to that day. Well, I mean, it's the conversation of the day, the whole Me Too. Mm-hmm. So I guess it had that kind of momentum. Yeah. Um, but a worthy winner. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It was good. Yeah, very good. Um, and it's, it was really insightful. What, what did you take away from it? Was he just more than just a scumbag? It wasn't, it was not, it wasn't just him. It was the culture of that company. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I mean, it was just all scumbags. But he, he created the company. Yeah, yeah. He was the chairman of the company, but they were all covering up for each other. Mm-hmm. And it was well, that's really, usually what happens. really hideous behavior. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd spent over a period of time... $160 million hushing people, people out. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
it's like a whole business right. of shutting that's a, people it's, up. There's an eco- it's an entire economy unto yeah. itself. Abuse and then shutting up. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And if you saw the man, you can't believe he, he was even sexual. I mean, he's just this hideous large creature. Well, he has a penis. Yeah, but I don't know if he could find it or reach it. I guess he had to find people. Ouch. Anyway, uh, we're getting. Yeah. Uh, I saw a documentary called. Um, a Barbara Koppel documentary called. Oh, yes. um, Murder in Mansfield. Murder in Mansfield. Yeah. And that was really, really interesting. Yeah. You that, know the story? Yeah, I do. Uh, I saw it actually last year, about a year ago, at Doc NYC. Oh, really? It's been around? So it's been around for a while. she but was she there is, with that She was guy. up in Woodstock, too. She is like the, you know, she just goes to all the festivals. She just tells such a good story. It's so tight. Yeah. I, I, with this one, I just felt it was kind of like, it felt like TV fodder to me. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, because, of course, Well, yeah, because the a lot whole of great story was about the boy that was, you know... Um, you know, he he was on TV at the trial. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was such a compelling 12-year-old. He was such a precocious, precocious child. Precocious, yeah. But also, like... This is a, he, he, he's... Uh, what, do you want to just explain? Well, he was on... He, he went... He, he was on... His father was on trial for murder of his mother. Mm-hmm. And at 12 years old, he agreed... To be a witness. In fact, insisted to be... To go on the stand and, and basically talk... Against his father. Right. Yeah. But they, they have this footage from the 80s, but yeah. he, they go, he's involved in the Barbara's documentary in the current Right. Well, he's time. a filmmaker he's the, himself now. Right, right. And cinematographer. So he's actually he's, involved. He's the subject to, of the film. Right. And involved in the, creating the film. Yeah. He pitched the documentary to her, the idea. Mm-hmm. So, sh- yeah. As a matter of fact, when I saw it, you know, that what happens is afterwards the publicist will reach out, uh, not all the time, and they'll email you and they'll say, what did you think of the film? And I'll give a, you know, a kind of an immediate response. And my response was, yeah, I enjoyed it. But you have to understand I'm comparing this to the best of Barbara Koppel. Right. You know, my context is different. It's like I... So I was at, um, that would have been in November of last year. And then uh, a few weeks later, I'm at a holiday party. In fact, I think I already started my Kickstarter because she had that day blasted something in support of my Kickstarter campaign. And, that, and I didn't know I was going to run into her that evening. And I ran into her in that evening at a party. And she, I, I went up to her, started talking to her and, and thanking her about her support. And she said, goes, oh, I heard you weren't crazy mm. about my film. I'm like, oh, my God, it's back. I didn't know that yeah. the publicist just tells them who says what. Yeah. I mean, that's not right. Well, that's why you see people I will never. so guarded. Everybody's so guarded. Well, you know, why would I want that to get back to somebody? I mean, the publicist probably didn't know that I kind of had a bit of a personal connection with Barbara Koppel. I've gotten to know her a, a little bit. Like, we know each other. Over the years, you know, she's, I've, I've, I've brought her on the podcast, uh, well, only twice, but I've, you know, been in right. lots of places with her and uh, said, you know, so she she knows who I am at this stage. And uh, she, um, I, I felt terrible. I was like, how uncomfortable. I said, I did not criticize. I'm pretty sure whatever I said was not harsh. Because well, now I just, you've said it again. <laughs> she's not And listening. you know she listens to No, this. she doesn't listen. Well, I like that documentary i mean i can see what you mean it made for tv it just felt a little for mm. it just felt like yeah, it, it, it also felt there's so much here's the other thing that 
this um, subject matter, this um, the the true life crime. That's true what it's life called. Crime. This category, this genre, is, is ubiquitous yeah. on the podcast. Oh, know, it on, is? On the podcast, yeah. And so that felt... So it feels a little bit yeah. like... The, it feels a little diluted, the whole weight of it, the, yeah, the strength not. of it. Because there's so much of this content out there. There's entire cable channels devoted to true life crime. So the bar is really high, you know? And I just felt like I just was even more expecting... I, I wouldn't even, even more... You know, mm-hmm. like even more. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see uh, Liz Garbus's documentary? Liz, who's a, essentially a, a disciple of Barbara Koppel's. And Liz Garbus, some years ago, made a documentary, which was a, a true life crime story, which is unbelievable. Oh, I think- There's something wrong. That's it. There's something wrong with Aunt Diane. No. It was for TV it. also, by the way. So it was probably for cable, HBO. It's, it might still be on HBO. But it came out eight years, seven, eight years ago. And that one is also just the way it's set up and the way it's shot and edited. It's, it's, it's really good. It's just like one of these onion stories, you know, which you just it gets unraveled throughout the, you know. Anyway, so I didn't feel like the reveal in that Barbara story. Anyway, I don't want to take too long on it. I, I but saw, to, to I, see that movie, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. I saw a Maria Callas movie, and I can't tell you who directed it or even what it was called. Yeah, uh, that I keep. I'm getting lots of invitations. But for that, that was these. beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I got uh, invitations today for that. In fact, it was sort of told in her voice. That's called Maria by Callas. It's beautiful, and um, yeah. it's directed by Tom Wo- Tom Wolf. It's such a beautiful documentary. Really takes you back. Uh, amazing to see that kind well, good, of good. Good. Well, you know, the when celebrities were really celebrities, you know. And sure, she was beloved. The glamour yeah. of that world, and good yeah. God, and Aristotle Onassis, and that story, and was told from her memoirs. Okay, so it was her story, her words. But beautiful footage that they got. My God, terrific! And you just what a star, what a talent. I don't know if anyone has ever, you know, any other opera star has reached that kind of level of fame. There was a, like a rock star fame, screaming and fans screaming. Right. And unbelievable. Right. Maybe Pavarotti. Yes, yes. I don't know. Another and I'm not talking about like technically the best. They just had something else. Star that, quality. And, and something that people just, yeah, they understood it and created some relationship between them and their audience, which was, you know, there should be a Pavarotti documentary too. Isn't there? Maybe. <gasps> Write that down. We could maybe <laughs> go pitch that to Sheila Nevins. Why? I know that name Sheila came to Nevins mind because is she's long gone. <laughs> she's... I just actually saw her. Did you? She's curating a series of four documentaries at the Strickler Center. Okay. And I saw the first one the other night. It was the uh, Arthur Miller documentary mm. by Rebecca Miller. Sure. Saw which that. was tremendous. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Sheila Nevins was there talking to Rebecca afterwards. Oh, she, they were doing it. Well, she's kind of hogging she, the spotlight. She, you know? Well, she's, that's right. I actually just emailed her. I haven't heard back now. That I spoke. Well, she's, you, she's doing that. Yeah. I should have brought, so. brought her on for this. Um, yeah, you should. I should go to another one. Edit, you know, she took me to uh, the theater. The she took you to theater. You were she, her walker. Well, her husband was there too. Oh, I was a third wheel of sorts, but I wasn't sitting with. <laughs> I thought them. you were a toy boy. No, not quite. I would be. She was very. She's uh, great. Uh, but she no. She invited me to uh, join them to see the, uh, Ellen Burstyn in this wonderful "As You Like It" production, and it was fun. It was really marvelous. I just want to interrupt one thing since we're talking about 
uh, as a sidebar, and then we'll come right back to the Hamptons. And that is that the other day I went to the. I invited you to the, go to the public theater. You uh, couldn't go because so, of your wife's right. birthday, and I, I. That's a great excuse. You saw Glenda. I saw not Glenda Jackson. Glenn Close. Glenn Close, mm. in a play called Mother of the Maid, which is about jo- the story of Joan of the Joan of Arc. But it, it's like their family story, like what happened to the mother and father and the brother. Like it. it, it it is was fantastic. I've heard. I'm it was so utterly it's fantastic. It's in, it was just in previews. So it's yeah, it's just oh. starting. Yeah, so go see it. It's gonna stay at the public. I don't know how long, but it was just finished pre- screening previews rather. And uh, I don't go to a lot of theater. I go when I you know, but I have a connection to the public theater, and occasionally I get these tickets mm, available, mm. and I'll go. And uh, I've gone three times, and this was by far the best of the uh, three I've, I've seen. All three were good, and that's why I go to the public. I need to go. This play, and I've heard, and from it's Grace Van Patten, this young actor who plays uh, Art Joan. But it's kind of colloquial. The the language is very... It's the only weird choice they made was they kind of updated the, the language. So it's kind of contemporary. They speak very contemporarily, like they... they which was weird. Like, uh, yeah, but relatable. But, right. It makes you relate to the family and to the people like they're people you would know. And like they're going through real torment like any family would in, you know, any time. Yeah. So it's an excellent... But it's an excellent play. Very and I'm going to tell people There's to go see it. good theater coming, by the way. My friends in London told me that the production by Ivo Van Hove mm-hmm. of Network, starring Brian Cranston, is easily the best theatre that they've seen in decades. I mean, they really said it that infusively. You're saying there's a theatre version of the, of the movie version? Yes. Of the movie of Network? Yes, okay. with Brian Cranston. See okay. that. All right. Um, well. So what, I'm getting back to the documentaries for yeah. a second. I saw another documentary called... It was so artful, uh, and I guess I'm forgetting the title again. It's about the architect Baragon. Oh, it was called The Proposal. Mm-hmm. You heard of it? I, no, but I saw... Jill, Jill... I want to say her name is Jill... So you, Melnick. A, a professional would have... Uh... A professional would, be, would have had notes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jill Melnick, I think, is the director and the artist who created this documentary... About Louis Barragan, the uh, Mexican architect. architect. Okay. It was such a lovely documentary, so well told. Unbelievably interesting story. I recommend it. Very good. Is it Joel Malnick? Oh, I haven't. You you know, they they don't have a search thing here, which is really stupid here. Uh, What is it called? The Proposal? The Proposal. What else? Uh, Here it is. The Proposal by Jill Majid. Jill Majid. M-A-G-I-D. Okay. I recommend it. Okay. And next? I saw a film called... Another documentary called... Oh, City of Joel. Mm-hmm. About Hasidic Jews living in uh, some town up in New Jersey. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the name of the town, but apparently there's now 50,000 Hasidic Jews there. Okay. Or maybe more. Well, I know that if you go up, like to not far, like right upstate off Route 17, the, right near that, that area, suffering that area, isn't there a large population? Maybe it's there, not New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right up there. There's uh, around um, Tuxedo Park, that area. I don't yes, know. I think it's called that. So that's the documentary. An enormous Jewish population. I didn't love this documentary. Okay. Because well, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, a lot of chassids for one documentary. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
And, uh, I can understand. It might be for better for people that are less, a little bit more distant. Yeah. These. So that and that. And, um, I should have. You know, it's funny. They're, they're, the, 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 the people that have the most difficulty with the, well, I shouldn't generalize too much, but one of the groups of people that have the most problems with Hasidic Jews are, are non-Hasidic uh, Jews. Jews. Yeah. yeah, that are non Hasidic. So well, no, in this film, there's Hasidic, a whole community Hasidic. of people w- yeah. who have problems. Well, there's a big, I mean, you know, a lot of Jews resent that they, 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 they tap all the resources they yes, can exactly. and they, they, they uh, you know, and they don't pay, you know, they don't pay for anything. That's right. I don't want to insult anybody. You don't but uh, it's. Um, Jesse Sweet created that documentary. And um, it's good to give an attribution after you've trashed the film. <laughs> No, I mean, anyway, I no, don't worry. Trashed it, but it, it wasn't my cup of tea, or um, many shivers. Uh, I don't know what else. I, I saw some movies. I saw The Favorite. Okay, you I saw that. that. Yes, I loved it. That was wonderful. Wonderful, fantastic, huh? fun, fun. Yorgos Lanthimos's new film. Yeah. Yes, that was Love that Triangle. Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz. Fantastic. Yeah. Who's the Who's the lead who played Anne? She's uh, the British actor. The broad church um, Yeah, Maureen. I don't remember uh, the favorite. Yeah. God, we need assistants and producers who That's feed true. us. Olivia Coleman. That's right. She was at the, uh, the the press conference. It was so fun. They were all at the press it was conference. Excellent. Except, no, actually, Rachel Weiss wasn't there. But lavish, decadent. Beautiful film. Very yeah. funny. Loved it. Great music. Really great. Yeah. And um, I heard the costume designer was there, too. She oh said she actually, God. that was not, as great as the costumes were, it was actually toned down from the actual, that there were even more... If you can imagine, really? ornate and you know, elaborate. Mm-hmm. Fabulous film. I saw a movie by Steve McQueen mm-hmm. called his Widows. Uh-huh. Yeah, the new, his new film. It's fantastic. Great. It's, it's different for him, though. Is it's it? kind yeah. of more of like a mainstream okay, well, you know, popcorn uh, film. Mm-hmm. But really great. I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. I would love to get him on. I met him with his first real film, um, which I saw like at New Directors New Films years ago, like twelve years ago or something, and I he was there. It was like relatively empty the theater, and afterwards I just walked up to him and because he was just there, you know, it's like nobody really knew who he was yet. But it was that first one he did, um, Hunger, right, man, because I could tell this was a new filmmaker that was gonna Fassbender, you know, and then he did Shame, right? Yeah, yes, uh, right with Fassbender. This is great. It's a real. You know, again, like really popular subject of female empowerment, mm-hmm. led by uh, the amazing, um, amazing cast. Yeah, and written by Gillian Flynn, who wrote oh, Gone Girl. It's, so it's it really is a rather straight, mainstream. It's great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, you're thinking of uh, the great uh, Viola Davis. Love Viola Davis. Good God, and she's really <clears> and. Michelle Rodriguez, Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, jeez, Colin Farrell. Oh, it's fantastic. Lucas Haas. Who would say no to him if no. he called? Yeah, that's true. I um, gotta, yeah, I, I got to see that as soon as I can. I saw that movie called Guilty, which won the Sundance Film Audience Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a Danish film? That's the one you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, it was excellent. And real that, proof uh, that you can make right. a brilliant film with no, it's the guy the, who's in. It's uh, by a director named Gustav Mahler. Now, is is it uh, the guy? Not Mahler, M A H L E R. That's mm, the mm, same mm. name. Then they would have the same name. It's actually M O L L E R. 
with an umlaut. Is that what it's called? Uh, no. Not, what's Mala. the double dot, double I? Double Mula. dot, rather. Huh? Mueller. Yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Are we trying Gustav to pronounce the, the Danish yeah. double dots? Yeah. I don't know how. Anyway. As many so, uh, but it's, 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 um, was that all shot and hit? What, did he ever leave the police station? No. Okay. It was shot it in seems one like, room. Right. One actor, but, one but room. But you remember, yeah. That's incredible. The power of a great story. And yeah. You don't remember that? Well, whose phone is that? Is that mine? Must no, be yours. Probably. What do you mean? Yeah, but I No, mean, it might be mine, actually. Peter Riegert. It's in the spirit. Is he here? Peter Riegert is showing up. Um, Am I being he, No, he texts me. Peter I apologize. Rieger? Columbus, right? You're on Columbus? Yeah, 80th. Um, what else did you see? So you saw The and Guilty I You Recommend. Guilty I Recommend. Mm-hmm. Thank I you. I The Favorite. I loved Widows. So you saw some international films. I feel like films. I saw one other feature, but I'm blanking on what it was. You, know you didn't see you Roma. Did? Which one? You didn't see Roma. No. But First Man Catalanzo, was there, uh, you couldn't get Caron's in. Film. Huh? First Man. Oh, right. The First, first Man, which uh, with... Uh, Ryan Gosling. Right. Yeah. But Damien Chazelle was at the festival the whole weekend giving conversations with right, them. Right, right, yeah. And so you couldn't get into that film. If you hadn't booked right. one in advance, the rush tickets, they said, you I'll know I'll get what? tickets for that. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see it. I'm a huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. Aren't you? So, well... It's getting rave reviews, I think. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, um, yeah, he's good. I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, that one, the uh, one he did, uh, La La Land. La La Land wasn't. Oh. I didn't. I didn't like that. Oh, oh yeah, but that that was idea. polarizing. People loved it or hated. Yeah. Um, but Whiplash. You can't. Whiplash was amazing. Um, Adam, yeah, I, was, I saw yes. not at the festival, but very recently I saw Star is Born. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I'm dying to see that. I would love to see Star is Born. That would be great. Did you, that, you saw it at the festival? No, saw oh. it here. Okay. Well, now we're, d- d- but we're not allowed to talk about. That. Oh, we don't have to talk about. <laughs> oh, go back. It's okay. To, oh, it's an I, This is a rare thing. I stayed in in the city. I usually go for the the beginning. I go through the press screenings or press and industry screenings of the New York Film Festival, which are generally start a couple of weeks before the public screening begins. But it goes through. They go through into the public screening festival through the public festival the festival itself or at least part way through and then sometimes if i'm there around i'll see some of the public things like i'll go to some talks or some screenings that i missed during the pni mm. screening this year i did not go to either the the hamptons or the woodstock film festival uh i stayed in new york and i ended up going to uh, uh more things at the new york film festival than typically and i was going to see even one more last thing but i i just i was too tired it's to go it's a very nice and, festival though. which is um yeah the uh which with the last one which was you know the the van gogh film the uh you know julian schnabel's film oh damn i really want to see at eternity's that. gate with uh yeah well uh, there'll be opportunities to see it so it's okay it's it's coming out did you see beautiful boy no that wasn't at the new york film festival uh, though it wasn't no, I don't really, I don't know. It doesn't look like something I'm really, I'm not really looking forward to that. I don't know. I'm, I could be wrong. It's heart-wrenching. Mm, yeah. Harrowing. It's a cry. It's, you yeah. cry right through. Well, the, yeah, that's, that's the problem. I, I don't need to be told how to behave and, you know, or to respond to But it. you heard it here first. I'm saying it's yeah. his you saw. Academy Award uh-huh. to Timothy Chamelet. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's, this year he's winning. Okay. You heard it here. I heard it here first. That's an astonishing performance. Anyway. Yeah, very good. Hamptons. Um, back so, to... So I think we've been through all, everything I saw. I mean... Good, that's good. You were there uh, for a couple of days? Yeah, three days. Mm-hmm. Did you, you didn't go to anything else? 
I went to a friend raiser. That's what they call fundraisers these days. Because mm-hmm. someone figured that the word fund right. might put people off. So yeah. they say, come to the friend raiser. Yeah, people speak around these fundraisers now. They're trying to suggest that there's more to it than just raising money. You're yeah. just, that way you take you some of the part of a emphasis off of, right? You're creating... Right. You're Number, creating a, something that is involving people right. in a bigger way. We don't way. want your money. We want your friendship. Well, we want everything. Well, later we'll talk about the money. But right now I want to talk about... <laughs> right. So I went to a friend raiser for a really great film um, charity mm-hmm. called Ghetto Films. Mm-hmm. You heard about it? Mm, no. I did a very big article in the Sunday mm-hmm. papers recently. But I, you have to Google it and find out about it. Okay. I got a little too drunk too quickly there, so I... So I can't remember anyone I met. Uh-huh. Where uh, was that? Because I was just you know, where, where, the where drunk was, friend. Where was, <laughs> where was at the, the Maidenstone Inn? Oh yeah, I've been there a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, they'll have the press little. They have a little uh, bungalow behind yeah, the house that's there right, that's for the, the for the, the press thing. But they moved it last year, fortunately, to look close because it's so far out of the way. That's right. They moved it to a, a building where the the, the chapel is the um, or the. You know, it's across the street, but it's a little closer to, like, it's only like two or three blocks from the cinema, you know, the main part of downtown where uh, most of the action is happening, you know. Did you go to any other t- towns? Did you go see things? I went to SAG, uh, SAG to the Harvard. Bay Theater. Okay. Which is a theater, not a cinema. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is not that great to watch movies in. I don't know. You know, because it's sort of, you sit around in a circle around the screen. Oh. And, I can't uh, remember. I went to. Oh, keep trying I to saw Michael straight. Moore there. I didn't see a movie. I think they made some clips, but yeah. <clears throat> um, but the whole Hamptons during that time of year is beautiful. It's I recommend nice to go. it. Yeah, it's I know. Great. It's well, so yeah. much nicer than the summer. Right. Yeah. So maybe next year. Good restaurants and chill, and, and the, it's a very well run um, festival too. Yeah. Amazing kids volunteering. Right. I guess right. I don't know. And so I would have liked to have gone, but... Oh, you know, I'm not going to Sundance next year. You aren't. No, I'm really bummed about that. Well, there, what's coming up next is uh, here in New York City, there's Doc NYC, which is the biggest, very big documentary film festival. They have tons and tons of documentaries. So I'm sure most of the ones that you've missed, anything you've missed. Do you remember that I did my acting debut in a little <laughs> thing called The Spot? It was a, it was, it's, it's essentially a pilot of a potential series... And I was cast in this pilot. Oh, yeah, vaguely remember you Right, so the writer-director has completed it. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. But he's entered it into a whole bunch of festivals because there's a new sort of category, I think, mm-hmm. episodic TV or Episodics something. or something like that. Festivals, so he's yeah. entered it into a whole bunch of mm-hmm. South by Southwest, Sundance, mm-hmm. Tribeca. Yeah. So I guess if it gets into Sundance, I am going to go. Right. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they can always bring people unless you have no, a no, no. I don't. Role. I'm just going to. You would go anyway. You'd yeah. make it. You'd make it happen. I'd make it happen. Because yeah. that would be how many times can that happen? Yeah, three that. or four times tops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank you very much for that. That was it was great. You're such a great. Uh, you're very good. You've gotten even better since the last time you were on. No, it. but it, I think uh, I need to, you know, make some notes because you got to give oh, proper shout-outs. To well, I'll edit this down. It'll sound like you're much more. There won't be any pauses. Like and and there won't be any none of that. I'll, I'll edit that down. Yeah. No, we'll we'll get this economical. It'll be good. We don't have as many laughs, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. That that maybe we say that for between two ferns, Jews. Between two Jews. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, We're gonna get back to that. Yeah. Well. 
It's a, it's, it was a funny, funny thing. Um, thank you, Ron. Let's should we just uh, consider that a, a done deal? No, thank you for having me on to discuss <laughs> my the so ramblings of my trip. Do you go? To, you should try to. Do you want to get to Doctor Moisey? Yes. You'd have to. Yes. Go check out their website, docnyc.net. Docnyc.net. Mm-hmm. They've listed the, the films. Everything's, yeah, listed. It's when all, does it it's all start? tickets are on sale. It starts November the 8th through the 15th. But there'll be press screenings probably too, if you want to make that. But you'll be able to get into some public screenings and stuff like that. But uh, I can ask them to add you to my. Tickets um, are now on sale. Yeah. But I can ask them to, to add you to the. Uh, my press. Do you want me to do that? I'd love you to. You get on the list and then you get everything. You get invited to everything. So a few years ago, I uh, was part of this group of people that met at Lynn Sachs's house in Carol Garns, Brooklyn. And for a long weekend, we occupied this house, and she shot this film. We all were essentially the same age, or born around the same time. Um, And this was sort of a, we had, uh, of course, workshopped and discussed the things we were going to, the stories we were going to talk about. But she curated our storytelling uh, in terms of where we were, uh, how we sat, or how we moved and who we were talking with or to or what have you. So, and then she edited this, wove it together in this beautiful, poetic, lovely film called Tip of My Tongue. It's now available on DVD, order a copy. You can also get it, if you go to Lynn Sachs's uh, website, I believe you'll probably find a link there. Uh, But you can stream it on Canopy, Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y, is a service that is a streaming service. It's great, actually. You should check it out. It's on the public library websites. Um, I think all you need is a library card membership, and you can watch movies for free up to a certain number every month. And by the way, the I think, and this, if not all, uh, there's a substantial amount of Frederick Wiseman uh, documentaries uh, up there where you can't really see anywhere else um, unless you get lucky enough and you make it to a screening upcoming uh guest returning guest frederick wiseman and then there's a bunch of criterion stuff there and my friend michael galinsky and suki hawley's films are up there or at least a bunch of them uh so there's lots of wonderful films up there uh fiction and non-fiction both so check that out uh including again tip of my tongue tonight uh if you are listening uh, and you are in new york city and you're free at seven o'clock in just a few hours from now as i record this lynn Myself and a few other folks will be at the Filmmakers Cooperative at 475 Park Avenue South, 6th floor, for a screening of Tip of My Tongue and a Q&A. But this is a very special event because it's not just Lynn and her film. There's also a couple of short works being shown, one by, of all people, Ken Jacobs, as part of an evening called The Poetic is Political. And uh, so they're going to be showing some short works uh, as well as tip of my tongue, uh, they're showing. Let's see, Ken Jacobs, the moments, evening boat ride, which is an I'm in a long f- documentary, uh, and uh, also Erica Shue's film, A Short History, which is three minutes, 
and the tip of my tongue is an 80 minute film and uh, that starts at seven o'clock i believe ken jacobs and erica will be there and uh, lynn will be there and i'm going to be there um and so the q a will be following that so if you're free tonight you want to come by i think there is a suggested donation of ten dollars email filmmakers co-op that's F-I-L-M-M-A-K-E-R-S-C-O-O-P at gmail.com to secure a ticket for tonight. It's in the Charles Cohen screening room at the Filmmakers Cooperative. So right now, though, this is my conversation with the director of Tip of My Tongue, Lynn Sachs, plus three of the many participating people in the film across Andrea and myself here on Film Wax Radio. I think at the end I should come through and just climb out. Okay, let me change shirts. So you sure you want to... What? The skirt part? Yeah. No, I'm going to wear a different. Okay. I'll just wear that Standing in the entryway to my parents' house on the Lower East Side. It's funny, I think that I can remember a smell, but I'm not sure if it's a real memory or if it's something I've invented since that time. Every Saturday when the TV was on, there was always a rocket launching. There was always yeah. 10, 9, 8, 7. You just walk past the kitchen or whatever and you'd see another rocket taking off. And so we began our memory game. As they speak, I listen. Looked at the clock and I had half an hour to go, 15 minutes to go, five more minutes to go. In el 78, llegó una ley, iban a cada casa de cada campesino. Then he said, get out. And I had this RC cola bottle in my hand. The universities were closed, I mean, for a cultural revolution. And so, um, so I became a mom. I didn't know where I was going to be. You know, I was going to be, like, when I got to be middle-aged, they say, you know, when you're young, you're all like, yeah, fight and fire, and you're going to be like, and then you get older, and you're thinking about your pension, and your kids, and your lumbago. Everything that surrounds us becomes part of us. Yeah, I was remembering the last election. No one wanted to come out of their house after it. <laughs> we were all just like, oh, just wake me up in a couple of years. Right. Now it's a couple of years, of course. <laughs> just because of depression, not because of uh, some sort of confrontation with, with pro, pro-Trump pro people. No, no. Yeah, it was just it, yeah. that we yeah. had a sense 
that there was going to be someone in the White House who yeah. would divulge secrets to Russia, would um, break the law, accept payments from foreign governments. Well, thank God none of that happened in, in retrospect. What? All right, it's October 18th, which is... You're not, not talking into your mic. Though. This is something it's, you can plug okay. if we get this up in time. We, we will be screening Tip of My Tongue on October 18th at the Filmmakers Co- Cooperative at 475 Park Avenue South. Very convenient location. And they intentionally chose it because of the upcoming election and all the conversations that we have around politics. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you all saw, but I posted the part of the film on Anita Hill. Uh, just oh, a very few days nice. Ago. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's like a, a kind of residual thing. You can take moments of the film since we are, I mean, it's all about talking about the 80s and right, 70s and 80s, mostly when we were coming of age and becoming adults. So you have all these potential clips and, and moments mm-hmm. to share. There's a whole powerful segment of the film about women coming of political age and becoming politically aware that sort of culminates in the Anita Hill um, hearings. It's really a good, really strong section. Thank you, Andrea. Hi. Okay, so that was the uh, the voice of Andrea Canapel, who is one of the uh, participants, I'm going to call us, in uh, Lynn Sachs's film, her nonfiction film called Tip of My Tongue. And we also are joined today by Akra Shep, and uh, who's one of the participants, and myself, who is a minor participant, <laughs> and and again, Lynn's here. So, so glad to be here, Adam. Welcome back to Thank the podcast. You. Right, because we talked once before. You were the first person to dive deep into the world of podcasts. First person. Oh. That you know, I mean, yeah, you not know. the first person in the world, but first <laughs> no. person that I know. Well, it's, I was. It turns out early on, compared to the flood that is since, like now, the, the there's so many. Everybody has a podcast, but so I was a little ahead of the game. Yeah, just stick it to the one. Okay, what number is this, or what what year? What oh, this will be. This? this will be. Well, this is. I started the talk show. I'll play, say because it was not a podcast originally. It was an internet radio show. 2011. So this is year seven. It, it was started becoming a podcast sort of some years, a few years later, you know, but it was still even then it was way ahead of like, you know, the, the just a yeah, huge number yeah. that have since, you know, but hey, good uh, idea. It, it, good idea. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, wow. Yeah, this was we shot you. Well, Lynn, I'm just starting starting up. You can dive in for background so people understand you made this film. The idea was the concept was get a group of people all together in one place who all have had the experience of just recently turning 50 years old and come together and share their memories and thoughts and and, and uh, stories about their lives, at, which we all could relate to. And, well, well I, I decided when I turned 50, I decided that I needed to grapple with living half a century, but also with the history that I had witnessed. And I wanted to understand how that witnessing had impacted and imprinted on me and how, as I grew older, how I started to parse out the meanings of those events in history and whether I could understand them intellectually, whether they were just 
swirling around me and I was slightly aware of them. And then uh, I decided to write 50 poems, one for each year, beginning with 1961 all the way to 2011. Uh, and in the process of doing that, I became very curious about how other people would process, would interpret those same events or maybe choose different events and how things would rot, uh, what was important to me might be very inconsequential to somebody else. In a sense, I was wondering how mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. place in the world as some as people who had lived those years would give us what they call 2020 vision like or would it or would we be, I didn't want 2020 vision I didn't want us to know what it all meant now I wanted us to sink back into those times when we didn't have 2020 vision and with when certain things were in focus and sharp and clear and other things receded so I decided to try to find people I my goal was someone from every continent I didn't quite succeed but I I worked on it and not to to talk to just people I knew well, but to try to branch out and to um, enlarge my my field of vision around this this kind of uh, investigation. Did the these kind of con uh, what would you call them these these parameters? that you're describing did they inform your ultimately inform your style of filmmaking how you wanted it to look visually the film do you think oh that is a great question uh well i actually did research with each person involved in the film mm -hmm. and uh, which is 11 people 12 counting myself and i asked each person to choose five moments in their lives in which um five or more in which there was an intersection between a very private moment or a very public event and how that came to impact a private your private awareness your consciousness your, your interior mm -hmm. that is such a big thing to unpack i remember when you told me that i was like what <laughs> like i understood all the words you said but I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to give you. And then we had we had a really lovely conversation, and then I kind of understood. And the delightful thing, both Accra and Andrea and yourself, I had never... Well, Andrea and I had said, how do you do? Mm -hmm. But we didn't know each other at all. And so I knew you three in this profound way in a, and very quickly. And yeah. that yeah. was astonishing. I've never had anything like that happen in my life. Well, it was it was really remarkable to come here for that first the first storytelling where you taped it and you were taking notes and uh you just wanted these stories and it wasn't clear at all what was actually to me it wasn't clear what was going to happen with those stories. So there was no pressure to produce a, I, I I was just like, "Oh, she wants some stories. I have a lot of stories." And then this right actually in this room or was it in that room it was one of these two rooms that we're sitting in right now right this That's room right. your the basement kitchen and you had the big tape recorder set up and that was a little daunting and then you just wanted to hear the story and you were paying such attention and i was so grateful that this story that i had these pieces of stories from my life were worth 
your attention. And they gave, that your attention gave them even a, a certain value to me that they didn't have before. And I think that this whole project has given value to certain experiences that I've had and enabled me to hear other people's stories. Um, and f- it's not a logical relevance, but it's an um, it feels like an emotional relevance that that is accorded to everyone's story. So interesting. You were referring to the some of the pre-interviews yeah. or the you, initial you, research, right? You, where you invited people here to to your home. We're sitting right now in this in your home, one at a time, one at a time, and we shared. I think we already had some some back and forth through email or in on the phone, but when we came, we came prepared with certain stories from our lives that st- have stuck with us or that were important. And it's interesting because it really for it, it, it these are stories of dying to kind of share. But I didn't even know how to present them. I hadn't really had. I didn't know what the core of them or the, what the yeah. the frame of it was. You know, I just knew there were these moments and these feelings. They're kind of vague and blurry and. So it kind of gave me a reason to kind of figure that out a little bit more through our conversations. It was it was nice. It was like, I do want to talk about these things, and they matter to me. I don't know if they matter to anybody else. But well, they, 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 they kind of created who I am. Uh, I, I like I, As you're talking, I'm sitting here remembering your stories about summer camp, for example, and I've never met anyone who could take summer camp... The, the notion of summer camp is to feel very far away from from the, the swirl of, of public events, like to be in the woods. But when you told your story about summer camp, it, it was all about, in a sense, the inverse of that, that summer camp was a place where you became politicized. And that was fascinating to me, something that so much about this early childhood moment, and yet you gain this awareness. Yeah. And there's no way to relay that experience to people who haven't gone through it. You know, I had a house guest this last week uh, who who is in the film business as well and he but he came in from to, to the city and I, and he stayed with me and he was there for years so he gets it. It's it's a it's 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 a nice thing to be able to have that experience with other people but like kind of that we all went home going there we were kind of going home the rest of the year was, it's all That's about trying I, but... to maneuver through people that didn't understand us in a life that wasn't really you know su- supporting the kind of weirdos we are <laughs> you know? it was difficult to, to figure that out in a place like queens you know i wanted to go back to you asked me about the visuals and i felt mm-hmm. very committed to not having what we call talking heads just sitting in chairs. And I also felt that by having you all tell these stories in somewhat awkward, somewhat physically unfamiliar, but also playful environments, that it might make you feel a little bit liberated. And so, for example, I I filmed with Andrea in the bathtub, yeah. in water with without a, a shirt on. And I don't Why know. Why weren't you I, wearing a shirt? <laughs> well, because she was in the bathtub. Oh, I turned to Lynn. She, oh, oh, you meant her, yeah. Andrea. Yeah, okay. yeah, Andrea. Right. She was not. But um, I, I, I don't know how. I was wondering if being in that, in that context, your your body not being in a comfortable chair, but being in something that 
was both familiar, which is a bathtub, but not familiar in front of a camera. Not, that not familiar with gave like it, five people in the bathroom with you. Yeah, and the, whether that charge brought out something in the story. Well, uh, it definitely brought out the storytelling because you're, and and there was, uh, who was it I was telling the story to? Uh, um, Sarah. Sarah. I was telling the story to Sarah, but there were other people watching, but she also had a very steady gaze and a very, and an extremely attentive, like she was truly listening. So... Yeah, I think it, it knocks you a little bit out of any. I mean, it's none of those are none of the stories I told are stories I tell. I mean, I I I have some stories I tell, but those are not the stories I tell normally. So I don't have a practiced way of telling any of the stories. And that was uh, really critical that these weren't stories that had been practiced. No, what? No. That the, they were all stories that had. They weren't the stories that most of us tell. At the dining room table, Mm-mm. and people say, "Oh, yeah, we've heard that before." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Nobody, nobody heard that. Nobody had heard no, that one. And in point of fact, when I watched the film of you recounting the story in the bathtub, you seem so fully possessed mm-hmm. by the memory <clears throat> yeah. that perhaps I mean I would like to imagine that you at first were aware of the five other people, but. By the time you're in the story, you're kind of gulping for breath as you recall the moments. And, you know, what I tell my friends, I don't tell, I don't give real good parts about it. I say, your heart will be in your throat. (laughs) That's what I tell them. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought all of the situations were... There was the one where you and Shira... Meaning me. <laughs> yeah, you, Adam, and Shira, um, and one... and um, Jim. Jim. Jim's... Were, were getting up periodically and moving around a sofa and sitting back down again while, while Jim was talking about um, having trouble finding a job. Right. And you had a very different experience during the economic downturn, and you had a different experience. That It was just a... I love that, that it's like these inexplicable um, moments did not interrupt the storytelling at all. They they kind of enhanced it somehow, which I guess is an argument to see the film because I don't think you can explain it. Uh, Well, I'm going to jump in only to say one of the main reasons that that you know what catalyst that brought us together is that the film, which is already played in innumerable festivals around the world and premiered at MoMA's very prestigious Doc Fortnite last uh, winter. Uh, it is now available digitally through a DVD. Digitally a blue, a Blu-ray and or DV- just... It's available on DVD and, and digitally and it's actually also, I'll say, on Canopy. Do oh, which is the library. Yes. Yeah, so that's actually the quickest way that anybody that. could see it because to be on Canopy means oh, you have a... Uh, uh, if if you have mm-hmm. a library card. library card like the Brooklyn Public Library, the New York Public Library, or probably the Memphis Public Library, or oh, the she had Louisville Public Memphis hmm? or Louisville, where my house guest was from. Are yeah. you from Louisville? I'm from Louisville. Who is your house guest? I bet I know them. Mark Rabinowitz. 
He's mm. living there now. He didn't grow up there, though. Oh. oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> most or lots and lots of public libraries how, now have canopy yeah. with a K, and tip of my tongue is there. You so. sure good company. Oh, wow. Frederick Wiseman's entire library is on canopy. It is. Well, Michael we're on Co- canopy. That's fantastic. I didn't know it was available on canopy. So go to K canopy and check it out. Uh, yeah. If you have a library card, if, if you don't have a library card, if you card, don't have a DVD player, as many people don't, as many well, people don't, or you take out your DVD player and find out it doesn't want to work anymore. But I'm happy that I made a DVD because I wanted people, I wanted people to have things to put on their shelf. Yeah. And I like an object. Me too. Well, just jump, uh, tell me who did the artwork since, you know, I put it on my phones. Uh, yeah. It's on my phone's, um, what do they call it? Uh, the uh, the wall or something? The, no, the wallpaper. Page. No, wallpaper. The, the uh, no. What comes? Yes, it's the Locking wallpaper. Screen? It's all the it's the wallpaper. Uh, the design of the uh, of the la- of the uh, DVD was created by Rebecca Chapas, who Very is my assistant and also my former student. So she took the scene with Andrea in it yeah, and did scene. kind of a what they call rotoscoping, and then she embellished. Right. Not you. Because it looks just like you, but she embellished the bathtub. Yeah, so you have fins it looks now. a little bit like Marat's. Side. I like that. <laughs> I, I I joked about this at our MoMA opening night that the way it was shot, the framing of the shot was that it goes about a third, a halfway. The tub is about half. You don't see half of the tub, the empty part. So I just had this image when I was watching that scene of the of, of at the end of your conversation, uh, at the end of your monologue. The, the 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 camera pans and you like I'm sitting in the tub with you on the other side. I don't know why I just had this fantasy. Had nothing nothing untoward, I promise. But it was I just like the idea of at the end, it, it, like a visual pu- a joke like that. Oh, um, I was actually wondering if you would like to hear some of the stories that they tell, like wh- where some of the events. Like I really love a cross story about mm-hmm. the the. The lenticular ring. Oh yeah, and yeah, I bet if you story. if you heard us say there's a story about a lenticular ring, most people will not be able to guess how that crosses with history, but it does. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I was just really amazed because the memory is so slight. Um, when I was six years old, I got a 3D ring, a plastic ring, as a gift, and it was a picture of Martin Luther King and then when you moved it slightly it said I have a dream and um, when you're six years old of course it doesn't take much a gift is a gift it's like wow it's like you're like super excited and I was and um, you know unpacking the memory for Lynn I was vexed by all this kind of ambiguity trying to tease out what I kind of actually knew as a six-year-old and what I might have known later on as an adult. And there were parts of the memory that were very clear. I could see where I was standing. I knew where the events had unfolded and the kind of light it was in. I knew that the thing had happened. But I was just like, I knew something had happened to Martin Luther King. Did I know he had died? I seem to somehow recall that I did know. But at six... I wasn't yet watching the evening news, so I would have missed the whole assassination. Um, But yet, I didn't miss... I mean, I knew there was... This is where the essential conflict came in. So it was funny. I didn't want to misrepresent the memory. And so I was super careful 
to frame the ambiguity as part of the memory. <laughs> so, um, but you were just saying something earlier um, where you actually wanted to address that in the film and I hadn't known that until just this moment so I was like oh yeah I I did that (laughs) and I also love that you didn't give yourself an extra like a more mature a a wisdom that you might not have had at that Mm -hmm. time you you never you never said that you completely grasped the gravitas of it you 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 kept yourself at that age sort of like um ten drum you know, the, there, there's like an ability to stay in childhood, which is, mm-hmm. I, for me, was really, really important. Yeah, and I was just thinking how, what it gave me to hear that story. Because one of my stories is about um, the Kennedy assassination. And I was younger, maybe three, and, have, and watching it on TV. I am from Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in a very rural environment. Um, Louisville, this was, you know, that was 1963. Um, You know, by the time I was five or six, there were, you know, racial tensions in the United States were hitting a peak. I was protected from most of those things, but I knew there, like, I knew that there were things about race that you did not talk about. But I didn't know what they were because you didn't talk about them. That wasn't something I could find out about. And I've, I, I feel like there's a part of me missing from not knowing the rest of the story. And your story gave me a little piece of another world in a quiet way, in a very... Not in a political way, not in a, um, I already know what this message means and that's why I'm telling you this story, just in a, here was my experience. And I can't say why that, I find that so valuable. It's just that it's so true. There's no ulterior motive in telling any of these stories. They just stand on their own. And they've, for me... Many of these stories filled in gaps of the bigger um, experience of the time. And in that way, uh, this, the experience of being in the film and the experience of seeing the film has given me a sense of my generation, which is a bunch of people like everybody's like, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> you know, here's the strange thing that happened. Here were all the elements of it. And I just, I feel so much um, enlarged and like we actually are collectively a generation in a way that I hadn't previously experienced. Uh, where are you from? I'm Where'd from, you grow up? I, well, born in New York City, lived here till I was 10, and then we decamped for Western Massachusetts after that. So we left just before the city slid into oblivion in 72, and then I returned after I graduated college. Okay. But you're a New Yorker. We could just... Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Lynn Sachs uh, grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Indeed. Where there is a Jewish population, people should know. Right? Surprise, surprise, there yeah, is. There is. <laughs> well, uh, the, uh, yeah, and Atlanta, very big Jewish... I mean, it's not the only southern city. 
you know, I was think one of my anecdotes. I, I can't remember. If it, I don't think it made the film. I think the one that made the film was the uh, the Reagan, mm-hmm. the the heady times in the Chartres family. <laughs> it was like actually, will but, you tell that story? That's a, yeah. I really. That's the one you guys were telling right as you were circling the sofa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, th- I, I was it about my dad's. Uh, Sure. You know, yeah. Well, it's it's funny because all my stories, they're, they they weirdly they do they, they all seem to come from camp in some way. That year, those years, this one I was already a counselor, but I remember in the eighties, I guess it was late mid to late eighties, and I just remember being on the phone calling home for whatever reason, and and uh, from 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 the, the this uh, the office at the camp in Vermont, and. My dad was very happy because he was doing flourishing financially, and he shared it. And he told me his what he was making that year. I don't. He never had such explicit conversation. I knew that they were middle class. We never had to worry about anything, and everything was, you know, things were much cheaper to live like you know then. But uh, and he said, and I was just, I was like, oh, Jesus, that's that's a large, that's much larger. I had no idea, you know. So it kind of made me think about after you know I was thinking about how my dad is one of those people that was was flourishing as a result of the economy, even though my parents were very very anti reagan you know and anti republican um i mean vehemently so, and so it was this interesting thing to be kind of uh uh getting the benefiting from from that economy while at the same time really hating what he stood for the reagan you know and uh that that's what i talked about i believe i really appreciated your candor um when you talked about that story because some people especially in documentary people have a hard time talking about moments in which they're flourishing it's much easier to complain and to Uh, yeah when you're broke when you're broke and it seems like you'll you'll engender some kind of sympathy and you can you know yeah, shake so, your fist so but it's that, so straightforward but the, the narrative is the narrative is the narrative is so straight yeah and, and so it was simple, so great right? that you said that because then it it put it in it. contrast yeah. to um jim talking about his desperation just to oh, have the right. most menial jobs and that he he also was trying to figure out what his relationship was to registering for the draft and all of these ways he felt dehumanized. Um, but you're all really just young people trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to be. Yeah. yeah, you have a particular look in your eye when 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 you Me. tell that story, you, yeah, yeah. Adam, um, mm-hmm. that... Yeah, there's this, the, there's a, like, the light comes in your eye somehow, and it, you, I can't presume to know what you actually were thinking, but the, what I took away is um, the, the possibility that you were hearing Jim's struggle and there was a little bit of a, wow, that did not happen to me. Well, was it? Was his struggle? Refresh memory. I got to go open, open Sears, my, seat, my DVD. Yeah. Looking for work. No, I remember vividly. What year, though? Like, um, uh, like it would have been 81. 82, oh, 82. so really, well, he was a young guy, just a kid. Yeah. 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 He was a, yeah, because I could have. The Reagan years lasted a long time. They did last a so long time. So when we say the Reagan years. Well, actually, no, no, no. But, yeah, that's right. Reagan was elected 84. So it would have been 84, 85, 86. Oh, okay. Right. 
No, because no. I got to I got to college in nineteen eighty four and that fall he was the president, the brand new president that, who was going to undo the world that I knew. No, but that was the second election. His second. Cause oh, was it second? Yeah, because oh. it was 84 to 88, oh, Bush right, 88 right, right. to 92, yes. Bill That's Clinton right. 92 That's to right. 2000. That's right. But, uh, yeah, no, but I was living in Boston at the same time, and I remember the, uh, well, uh, I won't allow my uh, advanced age, you know, like uh, his young age and, and, and uh, lack of experience to be an obstacle, whatever he said about uh, Mondale. Well... But I, you know, it's funny. My only other you answer. Do a fine impersonation <laughs> of Ronald Reagan. Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I, my other thing was the the other story I wanted to tell, though, and I, I appreciate that I, that you wanted me to tell that other story that I wasn't comfortable talking, like doing, but I have a much more easier time building this very nostalgic, emotional story about Nixon resigning and being also in summer camp. As a kid, though, upstate when it was upstate New York, and being in the dining hall, and the thing that also is different, or that goes against the, the typical narrative, is that in this hippie commie camp, and it really was just that, it was like a pink red diaper all the way, and there were like 50 kids, and we were all barefoot, and just skinny dipping, and you know, singing folk songs. And, and one night they call us into the dining hall, and we all sat there, and the, uh, the you know, the, the, the uh, program director turned on the radio. We all listened to Nixon resign, and I was a kid of nine years old, and I looked across the room, and there was one of the counselors, again, hippies, you know, college students, crying. And I don't know why she was crying. She should be in a good mood. Richard Nixon is finally resigning. And it took years of that memory in my head of seeing her cry, where I was able to figure out why she was crying, you know, and what it, what it did to the country yeah, and to all yeah, of our, yeah. you and, know. And actually... It's interesting because Sue Simon talks yeah. about that too, and I think it takes a certain a kind of wisdom and sophistication for us to realize that we can have empathy even with those people we hate most. We can still understand them as human beings. I didn't look at it that way, though. Oh, okay. I, which is a perfect. Sure. But I could be wrong. Maybe she yeah. was. No, I mean, I, 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 I was reading it, I think, more like you were understanding it, that he was a human being, but he also symbolized something for the country that had been undone and was unclear that it could ever be refashioned again. He might have broken it permanently. Yeah, and that it was a devastating, yeah, tearing of... Of it the was innocence, yeah. uh, uh, and it was also in the midst of the Vietnam War and so much else. And who knows what this woman, this young woman, was ex- had experienced in her life? I have no idea. I don't even remember who it was. Well, I want to say there are a few things in the film um, that have have come back cyclically, uh, cyclically, and it's it's really horrible. So, you know. The high school, the shootings in high schools. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. so Columbine. when when Columbine happened, I, you know, Columbine happened, two teenagers walked into their Colorado high school and started shooting. And I know exactly where I was when that happened. I know I was sitting on a couch. I was in Philadelphia. I was teaching. I was spending, had to be out there overnight. We were watching the reports come in. And it never occurred to me ever that that would be more 
that would be more than once in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it is numerous times and it's become worse. And it, and the other, there's a number of other stories in the film, like currently we're living through, uh, the Supreme court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. And we're, we're having to face his, I need to help. Uh, what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. We're try, having to face his, his, um, mendacity. Men, yeah. His mendacity and his, his, exp, I, I don't know what you like sexual exploits and his irresponsibility and his, uh, manipulation of a situation in these political ways and it it's so close to what happened in 1991 with anita hill it just makes you kind of shiver uh, it's, worse. it's worse yeah. I think it's well, worse well i mean i was because there wasn't 20 years before that same thing happening where we you know right. we that, didn't they learn a needed, lesson well I right mean, it, it also embodies a good deal of the legacy of ill will from Nixon um, because Kavanaugh belongs to, for lack of a better term, a cabal of, of, of right-wing ideologues who feel that because the score has not been evened, that the ends always justify the means. And so in his confirmation as an appellate court judge, he lied to the Senate, I believe on three occasions, and the, yeah, it's well known. And then in during, his, during yeah. his Supreme Court nomination, before the accusations of, of rape came down, he lied twice. Um, this, the lie that I most vividly recall was something to do with some documents that were stolen from the Democrats that were passed to him. And he lied. He said he never got them. And then when they, it was shown that he did receive them, them, he said, oh, I didn't know they were stolen. But the initial lie stands. He said he never got them, but he did. So the fact that he didn't know they were stolen, immaterial. Right, yeah. but even then, it, it, besides the lie about it, he also chose to use them. Yes. Uh, knowing that they got to him in a they were circumcised. Marked, they were marked confidential. They confidential. Were clearly he wasn't not, supposed he, to. He was clearly not supposed anybody to ethical would have returned them, found out where they came yeah. from, and, and made it public. He used them, so uh, and then lied about it uh, recently. Right? Yeah. And so that was his that appellate guy. nomination. And that evidently stretched on, Andrea, you may know, it for two years, I believe, it took for his appointment oh, because I, it, I he was so embattled as an appellate court judge. This is nothing new for the man. Yeah. But so, I think I think... I think one of the reasons um, that we care so much about this case, we would anyway, I'm sure. It's <laughs> riveting. Um, but I think because we do have a sense of the history we have, and we had that experience of a president, when it emerged what Nixon had actually done, it, it was stunning it was it was unthinkable that a president would not hold himself to a higher standard and would lie and would manipulate and would um, organize crime to support his own p 
power structure. We know more about what he was willing to do, and now we know more about what other presidents have been willing to do. Um, you know, I, Kennedy doesn't look as good now as he did when when I was young. Um, in some ways, many presidents don't look as good, but I I think that betrayal. The betrayal of, you know, realizing how much Nixon had lied and cheated and and had been criminal was a ripping. It was a real ripping, painful thing. And I can't say that there, there were probably many people in the United States who had already been ripped to shreds by the power structure and knew not to trust it. But most of us seem to have started off with some kind of trust. And the betrayal of that trust is another commonality that I found. And it has made me um, hyper vigilant about official misconduct. I wanted to say one other thing about Anita Hill. When I was editing the section of the film on Anita Hill with my assistant, uh, and who was also the editor, Amanda, um, she was 26, 27 when we were working on it. And I said, oh, this is the section about Anita Hill. And she said, well, who was Anita Hill? And and she's very, you know, very educated really young woman. Really intelligent and it, astute, It's just yeah. that the story... It hadn't had a chance to come back yet, and so this is a great opportunity. Why are people complaining? Yeah, right. <laughs> Take your lemons and you make your lemonade. I don't right. understand. Everybody knows that Anita gets her day in the sun. <laughs> not enough sugar to make that sweet ever. No, no, no. Not and she finally got Biden's apology. Oh, that's really? right. Really? Yeah. And the comeuppance because his his campaign for the presidency is totally shadowed by his performance in those hearings. Oh, there's well, plenty, you know, plenty of time. There's a lot to be said for being able to apologize and being able yes, to acknowledge that you're good wrong. Point. Yeah, I agree with that, and I yeah. think it's also there's still plenty of time. What if? What if? And this wouldn't have. Been, but what if Brett Kavanaugh had said, "I, I made yeah. a mistake. I was a stupid fifteen-year-old." Well, then it would be different. It would be entirely different. Yeah. But then he probably still wouldn't would be have, appropriate. It, but he would have also had to have not lied about the other things he lied about. But he wouldn't be on the hook for this if he had said that. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the manipulation of the truth. It's that that's the problem. The, the biggest problem he has. He, and this is the highest truth, truthiness, most truthiness spot in, yeah. <laughs> of all of the truthiness places there is. Is the uh, Supreme Court, right? I mean, so he's the last person you want on the Supreme Court. Really? I mean, and it's so interesting. The true dilemma of him being elevated to a Supreme Court justice is that, I mean, people worry about Roe v. Wade. That's the tip of the iceberg. He would undo just about everything. They, they have already decimated the Voting Rights Act. Um, you know, we could see things go back to 1945. That's, uh, Strom Thurmond would be proud. Definitely. So I, I just want to say I only have about seven more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is any other? Yeah. Well, again, let's repeat 
that uh, well, clearly a sequel is in order. <laughs> we know that. Well, I've had the chance for some delightful sequels because I've had a chance to yes, travel with both of you, and to have like we went to to Pittsburgh and we went to Northern California, and that in itself you're, you're has pointing been pointing at, at Andrea uh, and at, at Andrea Accra. Yeah. and I were, went to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. with Sarah and um, Accra, and I went to the Mill Valley Film Festival, mm-hmm. and. Uh, which is happening right now. Oh, so that's that right. So that was exactly a year, a year ago later. that we were there. And um, the thing is about making a film is that it's a gift on multiple levels. You know, we've had reunions in, in community gardens yeah, and yeah. over dinners. And, we, and every single time, the conversation becomes so deep. We, we, there's no fluff because <laughs> what we have together we know comes from this very um layered yeah the seeds of our the, relationship the seeds were of our relationship planted are deep like, in the ground and really fertilized and, <laughs> yeah you know what I, so now it's it's you know it's really yeah it's 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 a real meaningful rooted type and it's of thing. totally so different we, from the reunion you might have with yeah. your high school buddies well it's fascinating what uh, you said at the top where you said that you just plunged in to all of our lives into the most intimate details. And it was fascinating hearing you, Adam, and you, Andrea, talk about what these stories represented. In some sense, I felt that, you know, you, the validation of having someone listen officially was an act of completion. And I was, I was, I, I was, really struck by that because for me I was struggling to imagine that I had anything to say (laughs) oh well I just want to add one more thing which was 9-11 so there are so many things that happen and that's that uh, the September 11th happens every year so I feel like I've collect I have my own experience but I have collected your experiences too so I Mm. somehow it's like a dream. Did that really happen to me or did it happen to you? Oh, my. You know, I mean, I know yeah, yeah. that I didn't, I wasn't as yeah. close to the towers as either of you. Or you. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, you were pretty yeah, close. Both close. of you. Yeah. yeah, so it, that, that, well, I hear it in the film and I hear it's just in my consciousness. And, and that's part of, like, finding community when we mm-hmm. collect other people's stories and they give it, like, a deeper meaning to something i think i think through this film i see the way we function as a bridge between you know among eras and we all started in our chunk of what whatever that era was and in the environment of that era but that era was the beginning of the um media age it was the beginning of mass culture but we still had the experience our childhoods were not that our consciousness was formed by something far more private and far more immediate and I see us confronting over and over again through these stories a massive wave of cultural change 
that we have all i mean what was what i really like is that everyone um met that with a great deal of humanity there's nobody ranting in rage in this film people are they're reliving what they experienced and they're being heard and i've i've I, it's very powerful to watch people listening in this film i think you can't walk away from this film and not be a better listener you might or might not be a better storyteller but you're definitely going to have the sense that you hearing someone else is an extremely valuable thing. Oh, you just made something very, just made something click in my head because I've heard Lynn refer many times to the fact that she wanted to create an active listener in the frame for the audience. And now I kind of understand it hearing you say that because it is when Lynn was listening to you tell your stories and Adam tell your stories. Lynn was the official listener, but to have that reified, to have an official listener taking something in and be visually compelling invites the viewer or gives the viewer permission to be that listener as well. Yeah, this is, I, I've asked different audiences when we've done Q and A's before different audiences I, I've said young people in particular have really resonated with us um, and I think it's because it's the idea that your experience really do, is meaningful you might not see it at this moment in time but your experience is meaningful and you can't figure out what it is until you tell it to someone else and until you listen to other people telling what happened to them Tip of my tongue is is currently available on DVD. Where do they order that? Can they get that? Uh, it's at the Tip of My Tongue DVD is at the Filmmakers Cooperative, Canyon Cinema, and also Cinema Guild. They can order it though. They can order the DVD if it's home video. It's really cheap, maybe twenty five dollars. And if it's an institution, you can order it oh. uh, through Cinema Guild, and you can also just find it online streaming. Through canopy. canopy with a K, but okay. So, but they can, okay, it's not on Amazon, is it? Like for the DVD, if you want to just buy uh, one. The Amazon. I don't know. Is uh, it? That's what, a good. Do, question. Can they go to your website? And they can go to my website. There? Okay. Yeah, lynnsax.com. Okay. But also, they can go to Cinema Guild. Oh, Cinema Guild's website. Okay, yeah. they're just the, uh, the distributor for the DVD. Thank you, Andrea Canapel, Accra Shep, and Lynn Sachs. Thank you. Adam. Thank you, Adam Shartoff. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been episode 515 of the podcast. Uh, just by way of reminder, Film Wax Radio is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. So spread the word. Leave reviews and star ratings on all the various platforms that you listen to. Uh, and, of course, we're available uh, just to engage with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And, of course, 
our website is great and you can subscribe to our newsletter through the website please just engage with film wax radio until that next time take care of yourselves and the ones you love Broken spring, broken idol.